Blog Talk Radio. Peter, and joining me tonight are Josh and JJ. Josh, how are you doing tonight? I'm pretty good. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, it's a good night. Good night to talk about the Red Wings. Uh, JJ, what about you? Oh, it's the greatest night ever. Yeah, we definitely missed that last time. Um, it, uh, it it broke a it broke a long-standing streak of uh, greatest night ever uh, while we were recording the show. All right, so. Um, I, I would say in, in the time I've done this show, this is probably the greatest, um, I guess you could say, like week and a half, two weeks in between doing shows ever uh, in terms of the Red Wings performance. Because I think it's been six games since our last episode and Detroit has won five of them uh, and the loss came to Edmonton uh, by a score of four to three. So obviously that's a lot better than, uh, you know, if you had if you had talked to a Red Wings fan in the beginning of the year when we were mired in that, uh, you know, seven game winless streak to start off the season. And you said that the, that we would win five out of six, uh, especially against a couple of the teams that we played. I don't know if anybody would have believed you. Um, so let's see. So um, we can get into some specifics in a little bit, but let's just kind of talk about general stuff first. So JJ, what have, what have your feelings or your observations been about the Red Wings uh, in the last six games overall? I think they've been playing uh, much better. And like, even in the, like, I, I don't know. Some of it has been maybe a little bit of, of luck is factored in and uh, you know, you can't really, rely on sustaining that but in terms of what i've wanted and that's been you know to be able to trust in the process uh i've been extremely happy with what i've seen from the red wings in terms of who's exactly driving things right now i wanted the team to hand it over to the kids and the kids are exactly what's what's doing all of the good stuff right now so um I'm uh, I'm I, I, there are like little nitnoid things that uh, that maybe are are slightly more annoying. Like I do kind of wish we had one more young defenseman in the lineup. But um, honestly, I'm I'm really happy with with the way things are going right now. And if they do fall off, like I thought the the Rangers game I had mentioned at some point, like it was starting to smell like one of those like those positive losses. Mm-hmm. And then they just turned it into a win, and like, I'm wondering at what point I'm going to start being like, man, I wish you guys would lose some more games, just because I don't want them to, I don't want them to end up being an almost contender, or like foolishly tricking our GM into maybe even buying at the deadline. Um, but I honestly, I I don't want to be a grouch about it either. Like if if they get really good quicker than I anticipated them to do it. I'm just going to enjoy the ride. Mm. 
Yeah, no, I, no, absolutely. I think, um, you know, there, there's definitely been a few games where, uh, not even just this last stretch, but during the season, where the beginning of the game, the first half of the game, I'm starting to feel like it's an obligation to finish watching the game, and all of a sudden something happens and they turn it around. You know, obviously they had uh, a couple games in a row where they came back uh, from two goal deficits, and you know, so for me, that's that's been the key in the recent stretch is their resiliency um, in the past, you know, the past season or two, they would, you know, if they got down, it would be pretty surprising for them to come back. And then this year they've been a lot more resilient uh, when they go down. Uh, Josh, what are your thoughts been overall on the last, uh, the last few games? Uh, well, just kind of building off what JJ said there, I just it's it's like who is this team <laughs> compared to the you know the trend we saw early? It's just it's night and day. And obviously, like JJ was saying, that there's there's some luck involved here too, where the the bounces are going the way that. But you know, when you look at that losing streak to start this season, you could argue the opposite that they just they should have won maybe a, couple, a handful of those, but the bounces just weren't helping them. So it's kind of gone both ways there, and now it's kind of come full circle on the, on the luck. Um, but like he was saying, it's it's good to see it's not, you know, the Nielsen's and the Abdelkaders or the lineup who are kind of carrying this team and you're going, Well, this this can't last and it doesn't set us up well. It you know, Mantha has gotten off the Schneid and woken up. Uh Athnasiu following the injury there has caught fire. Um and I know Nyquist one of the veterans with with the point streak, but there's no harm in him producing well as this season goes along well uh, goes along to you know, maybe help with that, that trade value or something along those lines. Um, but it's just, it's good to watch competitive games again, considering how the season started. Um, you know, there's, and the fact that they can actually come back in games, it's not like they get down by two and you think, okay, well, this is over. Hopefully they can at least, you know, do some things right going to the next one. It, it I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying it's sustainable, but it's, it's fun to watch and it's, it's enjoyable. Um, Another player I'm thinking, Rasmussen's kind of come along in terms of the power play, really come on and seems to be doing a good job. I think there's still some to be desired, even strength wise, but he's 19, so there's plenty of time for that for that part to come around. Um, and uh, like JJ had said, there, if they win too many games, you start to get that kind of false contender understanding, maybe from from Kenny or something like that. But at the same time. For the short term, it, it's just nice to get a winning streak together and, and have some positive things happening. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, uh, in, in, in a little bit, we're going to be talking, uh, you know, about more more specific stuff, especially uh, special teams, because that's been that's been a big change uh, from last year, especially or you know, last year, the year before. Um, but Josh, so what do you like? What do you think have been the biggest reasons that the Red Wings are now winning as compared to the beginning of the season? Like, like, like what do you think the biggest things that they're doing differently that are, are leading to better results? They're just, they're creating better scoring chances offensively. Like it's, I think goals giving up wise, I don't think has necessarily changed by as much other than you, if you exclude those, those blowout games, it's that they're scoring three and four goals a game rather than one and two. So, you know, players like Mantha getting himself into better scoring positions versus kind of playing on the perimeter. Um, and, you know, puck luck has a lot to do with it too, right? Like they scored six against Arizona last night on 26 shots. That's not, 
you know, that, that you got to have some yeah. luck involved to do that, right? So, I mean, talk to, uh, what's his name there, Misa? Or the, or the guy who was making his debut with that one, the goal that wasn't a goal. So you got oh, to yeah. have some luck to make these things happen. Yeah, I mean, I was looking, um, you know, to get ready for this podcast. I was, uh, I, I wasn't able to stay up last night and watch the game. I mean, when I say stay up, I know it wasn't a late game, but I was just, <laughs> you know, you, you know how it goes. A couple, a couple nights of really poor sleep, and it just catches up with you. So uh, I caught up today uh, on the game uh, from last night, and you know, so so to get ready for this, I I took a little took a look at some of the stats from last night because I was. I was just kind of interested because, you know, like what you said, we won 6-1 last night. And then if you look at, you know, I, I pulled up natural stat trick, right? So for all situations, right? So this is, you know, five on five, power play, penalty kill, et cetera. Um, you know, the Coyotes had 20 more shot attempts than we did. Um, they had 13 more block shot attempts. Um, you know, or, I'm sorry, shot, you know, shot attempts that were unblocked. Um, but then scoring chances, they, they, they had 28, we had 17. High danger chances, they had 13, we had six, and we won six to one. Uh, so, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we didn't deserve to win, um, but I definitely think in, in some of these games, like there, there has been uh, definite puck luck going our way as opposed to earlier in the year where we'd have these, these games where we play well and then we come out on the losing side. And, you know, you know, other than, like you said, there was a couple games that have just been disasters this year. Uh, but even most of the early season when we were losing, there were still a lot of positives. And I think I think that's definitely been one of the big things for us. Uh, JJ, uh, you know, can you point to any other, uh, you know, changes that the team has made or, um, you know, different reasons why the team is now winning as opposed to earlier? Well, uh, real quick, I'll, I'll talk about the the puck luck angle, especially against yeah. uh, the the Coyotes. That because uh, I'm I'm definitely not saying that that puck luck didn't uh, didn't play a factor, but I do think that a big part of the the getting out chance and out shot, I I think that we're just looking to score effects there because mm. they were showing Fox Sports Detroit was showing uh, the difference in the scoring chances after the first period where the Red Wings were up three nothing. And they they dominated the the Coyotes in the first period, and then after that, it's like, well, you're already up three nothing. The, the other team is going to create more chances, just the way it goes. So mm-hmm. I I think the Red Wings thoroughly outplayed the Coyotes in that game as well, and they also got lucky, and that's why like yeah. I think that they earned a victory, and they kind of lucked into it. The victory being six to one, essentially. Sure, um, absolutely. Like, yeah, you look at the. And I'm I'm gonna like I probably should have just saved a, a, a gif of it and just keep it in my own personal fold of the Athanasiu goal because I'm gonna need that goal later on when something like that happens to us because it was such a random bullshit kind of like that puck could not have bounced more perfectly directly to a guy coming out of the box and it's like. It, that that's the goal you see scored against the Red Wings, and you're like, oh, of course, that's just always what happens to us. Woe is us, and it never happens for us. So I need to save that Athanasiu goal to remind myself that every once in a while, yes, we do actually uh, get the the good end of that. Although the oh, finish yeah. was gorgeous. But then again, <laughs> uh, Luke Lindening also also finished on a breakaway in that game. So, you know, back to the look. Uh, in terms of the way the, the team is playing <laughs> differently, I think that, it's, that it is they're getting used to the 
being a little bit more aggressive and they're making fewer of the early season unnecessarily risky gambles that uh, that we're getting them bitten. Um, yeah. You know, a few less of the, the trying to, to dangle in the, the bad areas or a, a, a few less of the going for a, a big hit to take a player out or trying to uh, to pick off a, a, a pass that, that would lead to a really great chance if it works, but it doesn't work often enough to be worth doing it. They've kind of dialed back on being overly aggressive without dialing back to previous season levels of, well, let's just play every game so that we're only going to try to allow five shot attempts for each team. And if we get three of those, then, then great. Uh, we win basically. Um, yeah. And I think it's playing more to their to their strength. You know, there there are going to be times where they're going to get bitten on that, but it's, it's the lessons from those early season mistakes seem to be taking hold, and that's that's kind of why I'm so positive right now. Yeah. I know it won't last, but <laughs> let me dream. Yeah, and I <laughs> I, I mean, for me, I think I think it's kind of coming back to something that I know JJ, you and I have talked about. Um, I think on the podcast, but definitely offline um, about. Um, you know, it's been my opinion. I, I know, I know, I'm not the only one who thinks this, but it, you know, it's been my opinion that um, ever since Blashill took over the Red Wings, it's been the same pattern. Where in the preseason and the beginning of the year, he tries to instill this like up tempo move the puck quick, you know, get it up the ice quick um, style. And in the past, what's happened has been, it's been very clear that we just don't have the personnel to do that or, you know, for whatever reason, even, um, you know, and then he has to go to like what you were saying before, kind of like a more low event style of hockey um, because, you know, I mean, in the real world, he, he wants to keep his job. And if he, you know, he, he can't go on a 15-game losing streak, even if it's like, yeah, but we're putting a system in place. Um, and this year, it seems like, you know, especially like I, I really tried to focus on this the last game that I was watching. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they're really good at it. I'm not saying that they're as good as like, you know, let's say like, you know, Vegas kind of did that last year where, you know, they get the puck and they're moving it quickly and they're forechecking aggressively and they're always in your face. Like, I think that, I think Blashill's trying to do something similar to that. Um, and it's, it, to me, it seems to be working better than it has in the past. Um, you know, because I, it used to be where we get the puck and if we tried to do that quick pass, it would, it would just be a bad pass or get intercepted or something like that. Um, either that, or they try to slow the play down way too much. And it seems like they're trying to do what they've tried to do in the past, but they're having more success with it. Um, and whether it's personnel, whether it's maybe like, you know, some, some system changes, it definitely seems like that's working at, at least a little bit better, um, to get that puck up. And I know so one thing I, oh yeah. Hmm? Go ahead. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Well, one thing I thought was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. One thing I thought was interesting was, um, obviously Dennis Chalosky was off to, you know, a really good start and, you know, he's still playing well. Um, but I remember reading an article where they were talking about, how they wanted him to move the puck, you know, like make his decisions quicker and move the puck up ice quicker. Um, and so, you know, for me, that's like, like that really made me think that this is something they're definitely trying to, to do as a team. Uh, so yeah. So JJ, what are you going to say? 
Oh yeah, I wanted to uh, to take that concept of the Flash Hills has basically started the previous seasons with trying to do what they're doing right now, and then having the early season pains and then going uh, to a, a more low event style. And essentially the difference this year being that they, they, they didn't give up on that too soon. So let's, yeah. I want to jump into conspiracy corner real quick with the both of you and ask you, what do you think is driving that difference? Now you'd mentioned previously, maybe Blashill trying to keep his job. And so having to play a little bit more conservatively, trying not to lose so many games. So I'm going to uh, depose the, the two obvious possibilities or you know, throw in your, your third. Um, is it that Ken Holland has not admitted that we're rebuilding traditionally, but he has admitted enough to where we're not, bullshitting anybody and Jeff Blashill feels more secure in the, okay, now we're going to grow things and we, uh, I've got a GM that's committed to me through the growing pains. So I don't need to play the, the lower event, try not to lose games. So I don't lose my job or the darker corners of the fan base would perhaps argue that the missing influence here is that Henrik Zetterberg is not around, and there had previously been rumors that Henrik Zetterberg had been essentially undermining Jeff Blashill and forcing the team to play the way Henrik Zetterberg wanted them to do that. I am not saying I believe that. I, in fact, hmm. I really do not believe that. But... I wanted to bring it up uh, just to just to put it out there. We're in conspiracy corner. Anything goes. So, do you think it's one of those things? Do you have any other ideas? What What do you guys believe? Um, <laughs> one, I guess, maybe somewhere, somewhat in between. Um, maybe I, you know, Blashell's been doing this thing where he starts out playing the system he wants to play, and like you guys said, ends up playing you know, this low event hockey thing because that's what his personnel forces him into. And obviously the the team is finishing near the bottom and getting worse each season. Maybe this year he's just saying, to hell with it. If I'm going down, I'm going out doing it my way. <laughs> you know, if, if I'm going to go out, if I'm going to get fired after this season, I might as well be doing it running my system to see if it at least, at least works. Jeff Flashel, yeah, Frank um, Sinatra, I like it. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm I'm glad that you went first because I had to uh, make a quick rundown to my kitchen, and I now have my my newly made tinfoil hat on, so I think I'm ready to, to answer this question. Um, it's really interesting you say that because the one one thing I've noticed um, in let's say the last couple seasons. You know, this year, uh, you know, we're going to talk about special teams in a little bit. This year, obviously, I'm doing my, my power play series. And one of the reasons I, I'm doing that is because the last couple of years, I started to get more interested in the power play, just, you know, structure. And I don't know, it's, it's something that I thought was really interesting. And I've long thought, I, I want to say like the last, definitely the last season, I think the last season, the last two seasons, is that one of the big problems on the power play is 
and and this this kind of goes to option two. And not that I'm saying that this is, I, I definitely don't, I definitely don't want to say that I buy into some type of thing where he is like Zetterberg was trying to undermine Blashill um, in this kind of dark way. But if you remember on the power play. All the quotes from Blashill and uh, I forget who is who is the the power play coach before were all about puck movement, move the puck quick, move the puck quick. Every time Zetterberg got the puck on his stick in the power play, the play slowed down. He would always like I'm not saying every single time, but he would take it and then he would do a circle and he'd move it and he'd hold it, and it just seemed counter to what we're hearing from the coaches. And like I said, it wasn't a one-time thing. Like this was pretty consistent that when he got the puck on the power play, everything slowed down. So I don't know if if it was that he was uh, consciously just saying, screw you. Um, But it definitely seemed like he was going to do do the power play his way. Um, And and again, I'm not saying like I I have no insight into his thoughts, but at the same time, it's just, you know, based on what I saw. Um, but at the same time, I do, I do really think that option one makes sense, at least in some regard, because it's been one of those things where the, you know, the question has been, what would, what would Ken Holland have done in the recent past if the mandate wasn't to keep the playoff streak alive? And then you go down from there, what would Blashill have done if that wasn't the case? And if he didn't feel like, you know, he needed in order to keep his job, he needs to try to keep the playoff streak alive. And so maybe, and this is the optimist in me, maybe this year we're starting to see the answer to that question. Um, because it, it definitely, there, there definitely does seem to be a change in the way that Holland is approaching things and the way that Blashill is approaching things. And while I will still complain about Blashill's player deployment, um, there have been some marked differences this year that seem to be related to coaching. Now, whether that's him, whether that's influence from his assistant coaches coming in, but so I guess for me, I'm going like a little of column A, a little of column B. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, it makes a lot of sense in terms of just follow the money essentially. And in years past is Holland could still sell false hope to an extent. At this point, you've got you know you've got a team that's going to struggle to consistently win games. You can see in whichever color the stands are that it's not resonating with the fan base and they're not buying it anymore. So what you've had last year was a bad team that was also not a fun team. And that kind of double whammy had to have been a wake-up call. And you've seen it. Uh, you've, you've had to have noticed a change in the way Ken Holland talks about things. And I, I like I don't know if it's, it's all edict from Ken Holland. But, yeah, the screw it if I'm going down, I'm going down my way. Or screw it if we're going down, we're going to at least have a, a more fun product because mm. – that is the fans demand it at this point. Like they have stopped yeah. showing up, um, and we can't. It, like, it, regardless of you know, we know we need to get better at, at playing hockey. Uh, so we need to, to create a new development scheme. Sure, that plays into it, but like even if 
if not, like even if they're still playing with the yeah, well, let's let's you know poke and hope. Uh, you gotta you gotta have some more fun uh, to get fans in the stands. I, I I do think that there's more edict from above and more comfort from Blashill in terms of whether it's resignation to if I'm gonna if I'm gonna get fired for this I'm I'm gonna do it I'm gonna stop doing it like that than it is you know something has been blocking him and like the players have tuned him out which was a a, pre, a prior concern. Hmm. Yeah. So, thank you for letting me uh, derail things <laughs> to that. Uh, it, it's funny though when you mentioned that though about the the fans in the stands it was I think after the Arizona game last night. Blashill mentioned it, saying that you know now that we're we're scoring goals and, and winning, you're seeing more more fans in the seats. But uh, it, uh, does anyone notice that that's actually the case or not? If it was that quick a turnaround, we're winning a a few games is actually putting people there, or just something he's he's saying during a press conference. It may just be saying it to try to remind people, like, hey, we won games, <laughs> like the the Harry Doyle from. Uh, <laughs> In case you haven't noticed, which judging by the attendance, you haven't. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I right. will, yeah? real quick aside, hmm? would like to point out how hilarious, like like we were taking shit from uh, Coyotes fan base about how many empty seats there were. It's like, yeah, your team isn't a draw for a bad team on a Tuesday night. That's <laughs> that's something to think about it. Congratulations! Stop hitting yourself. To show up. Stop hitting yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um. All right. So, uh, I I definitely wanted to talk about the special teams because the special teams have definitely been an improvement from last year, and um, you know, like I said before, I'm writing the the power play article every week, and so I've been keeping track of special teams. I started adding. Um, the penalty kill, not in the article, but just on, on the stuff I'm keeping track of, because um, I think it was Magic13, I think is the user, he pointed out that it was um, something that could add to the article is, is the idea of how how good are the teams that we were playing in terms of penalty killing. So, you know, if we score two power play goals, but it's against, you know, the worst penalty killer in the league, that's a little different than, you know, a, a team that's doing really well. So, um, just... Before I before I throw it to you guys, um, and this is updated through November twelfth. I forgot to do it this morning, um, so this doesn't include last night's games. Uh, so the Red Wings in in the power play uh, in five v four goals per sixty are fifth in the league. Obviously, that's really good. Um, and then on the penalty kill, they're twentieth in goals against per sixty, um, with one being the best in, in you know in that regard. So. The penalty kill, I, I know, you know, they talk on Fox Sports Detroit, they still use the, um, you know, the percentages, you know, either either power play goals or uh, or penalty kills. And, you know, it, it's good as an estimate, but at the same time, if you look at something where you're looking at, you know, the goals per 60, that's going to give you a better idea of how the team's doing. So the penalty kill is, is falling off a little bit. They're still, they're still doing well overall, but the power play is, you know, the last few years have been pretty bad. Um, so 
obviously, you know, like I said, I've been been writing about the power play, so I, I have you know a lot of stuff to say. Um, but I wanted to throw it to you guys first. So, Josh, um, what what have you seen on the on the uh, the special teams units that have been um, you know one of the reasons that we are doing a lot better this year? Um, I, I kind of alluded to one earlier where I think uh, Rasmussen's proven to be a very effective net front presence. Um, I mean, he had another power play one last, which was, you know, 90% Lark and kind of just firing a puck off his stick while he was <laughs> getting up. But he's, you know, he's a big body and he moves around well there. And I think there's a lot to be said for an effective screen versus just being there, but not really screening the goaltender a la Abdelkader or someone like that. Um, you know, one factor that's not really contributing that I thought, if you told me that they, you know, the wings are going to have a top 10, top five power play, I would have thought it was, you know, because Frick's, uh, Frick's hitting in the net and it's, you know, that one-timer from the, the left side dot. But that actually hasn't really been a big factor in in the power play thus far. He, he shoots from there and all, but it's not it's not really where the goals are coming from. Um, you know, I think there's been a lot of good puck movement, like you guys were saying, where maybe before in the past it felt like um, things were slowing down and bogging down. This there, There's a lot more creativity to the to this power play this season um maybe one other aspect there is the the coaching staff changed the system there um and you know we're we're still fairly young in this season and teams don't have a ton of tape on the wings power play i mean it's going to get to that point soon and maybe that might counteract the effectiveness thus far but you know it's it's a new wrinkle something they haven't been doing in past seasons and teams haven't caught up with that yet. Maybe that's a, a you know a large factor in this as well. Um, it, that, that, that's the bottom. I think Larkin's doing a good job down low with the puck. Um, he's distributing it well. And then at the point side, Mike Green's always been an effective power play defenseman. And then now we have Chalowski on the other unit finally offering someone that can effectively work that quarterback spot. Um, you know, in the years past, we've looked at. Cronwall a lot and he's kind of faded at that position and not really able to offer as much as he did you know years ago so it's good to have kind of a new influence at that position on the power play I think is a large factor as well yeah absolutely I mean I I'm, I have some comments on some of the stuff you said but I want to I want to get to JJ first uh, so I don't take all the stuff so JJ what do you think about special teams you know including the penalty kill too yeah I I'd like to to echo what Josh says. Essentially, it boils down to uh, it feels like this power play is much more mobile. They're moving the puck faster uh, than they had been. Uh, they are more dangerous along the blue lines, which is forcing the penalty killers to uh, to have to back up a little bit and give a little bit more uh, more room. Uh, thanks to you know guys like Dennis Chalowski, they're taking more one-timers. It it feels mm. like I don't have a specific count of that, but like mm. AA's been happily blasting away rather than oh, yeah. always take the pass, square up to the goalie, and look for mm. look for the perfect shot. Um, there's been a lot more. Just get the damn puck on net. And one thing about the odd to the Rasmussen goal, which uh, Kyle actually pointed out, may he rest in peace, uh, <laughs> was 
the and it's it's been a, a huge uh, pet peeve of mine whenever I see, uh, especially Justin Ablocator in in years past, but it, he's not the only one who's done it. Rasmussen scored that goal after getting cross-checked to his knees, uh, because the and the entire reason he got cross-checked to his knees is because he was busy being heavy on his stick right there, and his stick did not leave the ice, and that is specifically why he scored that goal is because he kept his damn stick down in the net front, and that's literally the difference between not scoring and scoring like seven out of ten times uh, in that area. And so every time I see the the net front guy with his stick in the air, I just want to scream. And so watching uh, watching Rasmussen, who, who gets it, uh, do it right, has been has been a lot of fun to watch. Um, on the PK, I still think that uh, I would like them to be a little bit more aggressive, but honestly, the the PK has been creating more shorthanded chances than I feel like they have been in years past. It's just there have been a lot of PK opportunities uh, because the team still takes too many penalties. So um, I I don't really have anything uh, like fancy or specific to to add about the the shorthanded play other than I've I've liked Hellman Glendening there. Mm. Yeah, um it's interesting that you point out the the fact that we take a lot of penalties because uh, one of the things I've been I've been looking at uh in this in the series is or pointing out I guess is for uh 5 5v4, right? So power play, you know, one man up uh, the red, the only team that has fewer five v four minutes than the Red Wings this season is Pittsburgh, um, and they have less than less than one minute fewer. So Red Wings are almost exactly dead last in the 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 amount of time that they're on five v four. But then in on the other hand, four v five, there's only four teams that have been shorthanded uh, by one person uh, more than the Red Wings. So they are taking a lot of penalties and they're not drawing a lot of penalties. And especially since their power play is doing so well, um, it's kind of scary how if they were getting more opportunities, they could, you know, be doing even better and be scoring even more goals on the power play. Um, So the one thing, uh, so for Joshua, you said um, with FERC, I wanted to, I guess, push back on that a little bit with, you know, you were saying that it hasn't really been that effective. So the, 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 the response I would have is that, they haven't really done it very often. It's only been the last few games that FERC has really had an opportunity to get sustained minutes on the power play. Um, because without him there, because um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to touch on Thomas Vanek in a minute, you know, Vanek's the only other right-handed shot that's going to be playing on the power play with, you know, you know, they're probably not going to be putting Glenn Denning out there. Um, so FERC's like the only option to, to, to be on that half board side. And, like JJ was saying, you know, Athens U has been taking the one timer a lot. Um, but the problem is, if they don't have Ferk there, then they know that if it's going to be a one timer, it's going to only be coming from one side. So, so I would say that having him out there, even if he's not scoring, I mean, I, I know he scored at least one goal, but even if he's not scoring, having him out there is going to be helpful for whoever's on the other side because the defense can't just shade to one side. Um, but the other thing is that, and, and, and this is something that you touched on with the net front. 
um, this has been a huge, you know, huge difference um, in a lot of the goals that I've been breaking down for the power play series. Um, Vanek especially, but then also Rasmussen and Mansa have been doing a really excellent job this year at being much more of a moving screen in front of the net. Um, so they're not just stationary, they're there, but then they can slide out to the side so they can set up that kind of quick one-timer where it comes from the half boards to them, to the player that's in the slot. Um, in fact, for Rasmussen, that's how he got his first goal, right? Uh, Vanek kind of slid to the side and behind the net, Nyquist uh, hit him, and then he hit the, the, like the, the quick one-time pass for Rasmussen. Um, and, and also, they, Vanek was, before he got hurt, he was doing a really good job for a couple games of setting up uh, behind the net on occasion, which is incredibly dangerous, and it's something that teams don't do a lot of, um, probably because of if you know that player getting caught if there's an odd man rush, and coaches are pretty much conservative in terms of uh, you know overall hockey coaches in the NHL are, are conservative in terms of um, you know they're they're not going to try to take a risk if they don't have to, and again that's just overall. Um, I think the zone entries have definitely been a lot better. Um, I know a lot of fans hate the drop pass, and I think the reason they hate the drop pass is because of how poorly we've been executing in the past. And uh, we've certainly seen uh, two weeks ago Mike Green had a really terrible drop pass that uh, Tobias Reeder almost scored on. But overall, they've been doing a pretty good job of, of getting far enough into the zone that they can freeze the other team at the blue line and then dropping it to somebody like a Larkin or an Athanasiu who's going to be quick enough uh, and you know, quick enough and mobile enough to be able to find that spot and, and get the zone entry. Um, so it's interesting because you know it's the same general formation as last year. It's still the one three one, but it looks night and day different uh, because, like both of you have been saying, it's so much more dynamic. It's so much more mobile. Uh, they're moving the moving the puck a lot quicker. Um, so yeah, so so that's a lot about the Red Wings before. We move on into uh, talking about around the league. Uh, for either of you, is there any other um, aspects of the Red Wings play, either the last little while or the whole season, uh, that you wanted to talk about that we haven't touched on? Um, yeah, I guess. Well, just quickly back on that, just for one second there on the on the, the FERC thing is, I, sure. I may have misspoke. Well, I agree with you on the. Uh, they need him out there, given these are the only right-handed shot that's even a threat. All, all I was uh, trying to say before there was that um, I would have thought if the, when the power play is effective, it's because the puck's going in off his stick. It seems like yeah. even just having him, the threat of him out there, gives them options to maybe open up the far side, which is maybe where the goals are coming from at this time. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think having him out there and the threat of him out there is, is necessary because otherwise you isolate yourself to one side, like you were saying there. Um in terms of other items, when I've been on the recaps I've done in the last couple of weeks, one item I've, I've that seems to always jump out at me and is how well and this is going back to Martin Furk on this is the fourth line um, with him and Megan and rotating for, uh, third part whoever it might be for the given game. I always feel like they're playing really effective minutes. Like instead of just holding on for dear life in their own end and hoping the puck doesn't go in, they're actually maybe even creating some offense and some chances down at the far end. I mean, they're only getting limited minutes, but they seem to have been really effective when they are out there, which is something we haven't seen from a fourth line in what feels like forever. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely don't have anything to add to that. I agree completely. (laughs) 
Yeah, that's good. I wasn't sure if I was the only one who, who noticed that. Or no, that was a, good, yeah. a definite trend. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely good to be saying good things about the fourth line. Uh, <laughs> all right, so um, like I said, so so that's uh, that's the Red Wings uh, for the past little while. Um, we have, uh, let's see, if you look at the schedule ahead, um, we have Ottawa, we have New Jersey. Um, I'm actually going to be at the game on Saturday against New Jersey, so hopefully that's a really good one. Uh, and then the next week we have what could be a pretty tough week. We have Boston, Washington, and Buffalo, and Buffalo has been playing a lot better this year. So um, if in terms of picking up points, Ottawa and New Jersey definitely looks like a, a good opportunity this year – or sorry, not this year, this week um, because the next few games – are going to be tough. And then actually after that, we have Columbus and St. Louis who have been kind of up and down, but they both obviously have the potential to uh, give us a really hard time. So we'll see what happens um, on the Red Wings front. But before we get into our, I don't know if it's our favorite segment or our second favorite segment, uh, positivity corner, which is definitely one of them. Uh, let's take a, l- a little time to talk about what's going on around the league and the, um, you know, the, the rest of the NHL. So there's a bunch of stuff to talk about here. So I guess, I guess what I'll do is I'll throw to you guys first. So I'll go to JJ first. Um, if there's like a storyline in the NHL that you're interested in talking about, um, you know, like you put in the mailbag, we got the Tom Wilson suspension reduction. Nylander is still not signed. Uh, there's a settlement in the concussion lawsuit. Uh, we have the NHL and the NHLPA talking about labor, war, and peace. Uh, there was an interview on – uh, the 31 Thoughts podcast with Gary Bettman, uh, that was definitely interesting. I, I would say it's probably one of the, the most interesting interviews I've ever heard with him. Um, so, JJ, and, and, and you don't have to just stick to one. So, like, like what, what stories around the league are you most interested in uh, right now? Um, I'm honestly kind of, like, upset about the the concussion lawsuit settlement. Like, I wanted – that to truly have its day in court, and so I kind of haven't uh, haven't finished processing that. So I'm I'm just gonna kind of punt on on that piece. Uh, Tom Wilson having his suspension reduced, coming back, and in the game he came back, he scored a goal on a on a play where he was also assessed a goaltender interference penalty. Is the most Tom Wilson thing <laughs> that could have possibly happened, isn't it? Like, that's so uh, crazy. Now, the funny thing is, is that the reason that his suspension got reduced was exactly like, you know, we joked about the NHL wheel of justice and, you know, we never know where it's going to land. And this, that's basically what the arbitrator kind of agreed with is like their standard is not, has not been good enough to say, yeah, we can go ahead and just drop this gigantic suspension on Tom Wilson, regardless of whether or not he deserves it, which I believe he truly did. Um, it just it kind of sucks to like watch the NHL get that lesson in a way that like I don't necessarily side with. Like I don't know, it just kind of it kind of sucks because I think that Tom Wilson. Sh- suspension should have held, but I also think that the NHL needed to have been given the lesson that this entire time they should have been doing a better job with player safety and and being more consistent and 
now it's coming home to roost, so they need to get their shit in order. Um, the Nylander thing, I, I don't care, really. I, I put that in there because it, it's a Toronto thing, so it's getting talked about all the damn time anyway. Um, I hope he ends up sitting out for the entire year. <laughs> and then yeah, I'm really interested in the, the concept that, that Bill Daly has essentially been – like he – almost came across as, as bragging about how happy they are with the, the current labor agreement. Um, and he really opened the door for, for Don Fair to, to set up on the, well, there's a good possibility that you're so happy is because we are so unhappy and we may end up with a strike rather than a lockout. Now I know the casual fan doesn't really know the difference. Um, nor do they care, but it's really important to me. And I feel so weird and conflicted because I have supported the players uh, both times they've been locked out. And I, I am ready to support them again in case there's another labor stoppage, but I just really don't want there to be. So I don't want there to be a strike. Um, even though it's uh, there's a decent possibility because the owners have taken them to the shed in the last couple of, of labor stoppages, but I just don't know how much energy I have for another one of those. Yeah. Yeah. That's my trip around the league. <laughs> Josh, what do you got? Um, Just quickly, off the same thing, kind of things JJ said there with the Tom Wilson one, it's just it's like watching Matt cook all over again here. And it's just how many games do we know before he does this again and finds himself with a 40 game suspension where, which more or less puts him in a, a position where nobody wants anything to do with anymore. Mind you, he has that long contract with Washington now. Um, I just, I can't believe there's still guys running around taking these headshots over and over again. And, and teams want these guys around. Like how does Tom Wilson get a contract extension. Um, that's really all I had to add on that one. Uh, in terms of the, the lockout strike item, it's it's not, unfortunately, it's not one I'll, I'll follow too closely until we get close to that that time. Otherwise, it's just all, all talk from both sides to me and, you know, saying one thing and knowing that they're planning another. Um, on the concussion lawsuit one, though, I just, I was shocked at the, at the $19 million number. I just, I don't understand how you settle for that that low. Maybe I'm I'm missing something on that, but I have no idea how. And I think the lawyers on that side, you know, said something online that you know this is this is probably the best we could do. And I just I can't see how that's possible given the, you know, the settlement you saw over with the NFL on this was, was that one one billion or whatever it was some some large number over however many years. And this is and I know I know the NHL is not the NFL, but that's not even anywhere close to the ballpark for another contact sport. So I don't know how they, how they arrived at that, but I just, I can't believe that. Um, in, you know, on a slightly lighter side, there was the, you know, the Quenville firing, which is interesting. I mean, I, I think if you follow that story closely enough, there's, there's, there was enough writing on the wall between him and Bowman that Bowman was just looking for an opportunity to, place the blame on Quenville and that, you know, this is his mess extending himself a little time there, but I'm just kind of happy to see a name like Quenville on the market. Should, should things 
go south for the Wings as the season rolls along and they want to go in a new direction, Quenville would be obviously a, a highly sought-after target. So it's it's kind of – and the other part side of this being that it's so nice to see the Hawks finally, finally come down. I know they, they had a bad year last year, but firing Quenville should be – a nail in the coffin for that for that roster, which is just so nice. <laughs> yeah, I think um, you know when Damn it happened. Man. I mean, I was thinking, uh, yeah, I was thinking the only reason, the only reason I wouldn't want to immediately hire Quenville today would be that it would probably hurt our draft position for this year. Um, <laughs> you know, because in terms of, I mean, he's easily one of the best coaches in the league. You know, he's in that top group, um, and coaches like that don't become available very often. I mean, that's why, um, you know, Montreal did what they did when uh, Claude Julien uh, was fired. You know, they're basically like, oh, really? Okay, um, we're going we're gonna to swoop in here. So um, it's going to be interesting to see, see if Quenville sits out the rest of the year. I mean, he, he's, he's still under uh, – you know, he's still going to get paid through next year. Um, so – he could just sit out and wait for Seattle if you wanted to, um, or, you know, you could sit out the rest of the year, or, I mean, you know, if you want to, you could jump right in. I mean, I know in, uh, in St. Louis, Mike Yossi is getting pretty hot. Um, and that's a roster that he could probably do something pretty, pretty good with. I mean, they have a lot of great players over there. They should be a lot better than they are. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what Quenville ends up doing. Um, with the, the concussion lawsuit, I, I've I've only read a little bit about it. I haven't had time, unfortunately, today to do my, uh, you know, my my number one thing when anything like this happens, which is to read the Katie Strang article about it. Uh, so I know there's a couple. She wrote a couple articles. Um, from what I saw, just from headlines and blurbs, I know Dan Carcillo and at least one other player, if not more, are planning on not signing off on this um, because they want to. You know, as Dan Carcillo puts it, he wants to have his day in court. So, like I said, I, I don't really know enough about the settlement news yet to really have an opinion. Um, I, I know, obviously, this is you know the uh, the internet, and you're supposed to uh, you're supposed to immediately have a have a hot take. Um, but I think I'm going to wait on that. <laughs> um, and yeah, JJ, I, I definitely agree on the Tom Wilson thing. Um, I mean, he is he has proven himself to be a human trash can, and um, the you know, like you said, Josh, I think it, it, it's not a question of when he gets suspended again. It's a que- or, sorry, not a question of if. It's a question of when, um, because he has shown nothing that he has learned from this at all, uh, and he's just going to do it again because that's how he plays. Because he's a garbage player. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the the Nylander thing I think is is definitely interesting because I just love seeing how when stuff like this happens, just how ridiculous some of the Toronto media gets. I mean, they're ridiculous all the time. Um, but the, the whole situation gave us this, uh, this great tweet today from Damian Cox. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's uh, John Tavares is playing so well. It doesn't make you think, why not sign Mar- Marler, uh, sorry, Marner and Nylander, then trade Matthews for a whole pile of goodies. Not saying they would, but it's not such a crazy <coughs> idea anymore. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Damian. <laughs> it is a crazy idea. Um, and so, Again, I know it, like, like, <laughs> I know that you know the the the, uh, the people like him are going to do what they do pretty much all the time. But um, it is really enjoyable just watching people like that get dumped on all day. <laughs> so um, I definitely have a, 
I, I probably like it a little bit more than I should, I think. Um, but <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> okay, so, just, so that's just, hmm? sorry. Oh, no, I was go for say, it. Do you think he just throws that out there and then just immediately turns his mentions off, his phone off, and just lets let, lets the world burn, knowing full well what he put out there? I don't know. I mean, like I've. I don't have enough followers that I've ever really experienced something like that. So I don't know how that works. <laughs> oh, no, neither do I, but I can, I can imagine. Hmm. All right. So uh, before we get to read your questions, we have our positivity corner. Um, I'm still thinking of mine. So do either you either you want to jump in if you got one got one in the in the hopper? I started um, out so positive. I'm not sure I need to like really add much <laughs> to what I've already said. Yeah, it's been a it's been pretty positive so far. I I, I kind of already used this one, but the the you know one of the underlying ones being the, the fourth line's really been really fun lately. Um, so there's there's that one. Other than that, um, I think we touched on it was just. You know the youth driving the bus here with the the Larkins, Athanasius, Manthas, Chalowskis being the ones driving this team now, which is, you know, that's it's all you can ask for, right? So um, mm-hmm. there's just there's just way too much to like right now. <laughs> yeah, I think I was. Um, I think that was one of the reasons I was having trouble is because obviously it doesn't have to be Red Wings related, but um, you know I always try to think of at least one thing that that is that, and I think I've. I pretty much said all the positive things that I wanted to say. Uh, so I guess real quickly, um, I will say that uh, I am I'm definitely positive about uh, on on the other podcast that we do for sure. We've we've had some really great guests on. Um, I really enjoyed the interview last time with Micah Blake McCurdy uh, because for my money, he's one of the one of the best people at number one being really smart, but then being able to articulate ideas in a way that anybody can understand. And um, so if you're listening to this, a quick plug for the next episode, uh, we're going to do an interview actually Friday night. We're going to record it uh, with James Edwards. He is the, uh, I don't know if it's V or A, uh, beat writer for the Detroit Pistons for uh, the Athletic Detroit. And the reason we're going to talk to him is, is he had talked to Jay, um, my co-host for that podcast, about um, his love for the 1990s Red Wings. Um, and so I think that, sh- that should be pretty cool to get like a kind of perspective on the Red Wings and hockey for somebody who, you know, covers the NBA, you know, we can kind of talk about the differences between the leagues. So I think that's going to be a pretty fun interview. Um, So for me, that's my positivity corner with that. I'm going to, as is policy, throw it over to JJ for our reader questions. All right. I am in control now. Uh, We only have uh, five reader questions for for this one so we should be able to to rip through this pretty quickly uh we'll start off with uh mitten man 1391 the best Mm -hmm. three players and the worst three players so far you have to consider the entire stretch of 18 games up to this point so i will throw this one to josh first who are Mm -hmm. your best three players best three uh larkin's gotta be number one I mean, this one's, is he in the top three or just because he's doing so surprisingly well? But I'm going to say Chalowski. And the third, I'm going to go with Jimmy Howard. He's been really, really good when you look at the entirety of his work over over the start of the season here. Um, yeah. 
Oh, and yeah, worst three. Six. I missed that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Worst threes. Oh, sorry. Are we doing best three first? Yeah, we did best three. I can uh, I can kick uh, kick it over to, to Pete to do his best three before coming back to you on on the worst. Yeah, sure. It's um, I I have, I have Larkin after this to you and Chalovsky. For me, yeah, that's that's now now again, like you like uh, like Josh said, there are definitely other players that are you know doing very well, but for me, that's my top three. I have Larkin, Athanasiu, and my third is actually going to be Luke Glendening. Um, I don't know. If we, I'm just doing this based on a little bit of expectations, but also it's. I don't think that it's crazy to say that it's uh, that even like totally objectively, you can throw Luke Glendening out of there in terms of what he is bringing to the lineup. Like I, I don't know the fancy stats. I don't know if he's doing well in there, but just every game he seems to be making a a positive difference um, for the team in in really entertaining to watch ways. So go Luke. <laughs> so, all right, Josh, go ahead and, and give us your, uh, your worst three. Worst three. Um, well, I got uh, going off the, the last podcast there on Halloween there. I'm going to go back to daily on this one. I mean, I think he's maybe improved. I still, still disappointed. I think he might be among the bottom of the team there. Um, Abdel Kader up front again, not not surprising necessarily, but uh, disappointing nonetheless. And maybe Darren Helm. That's interesting. Why? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even that, all that disappointed, but I'm, I'm just filtering through who else I would think. I'm just. I was hoping I'd see more from him while playing with up with Larkin and Mantha. Not that he's doing a poor job, but he's just I don't I don't see him contributing as much as I had hoped while playing with those two. Fair enough. Okay. Peter, who you got? Um, all right. I think I think Trevor Daly is is unfortunately a pretty easy pick here. Um, also, Abdulkader, because we're talking about the entirety of the season, I think the last few games he's definitely played a lot better. Um, but if we're talking the whole season, I mean, he was pretty terrible for a while. Um, and then so I have a third one. So I'm going to cheat a little bit and do halves because I'm going to say Luke Lukowski, but the problem is he hasn't played very much. Um, and then so I am going to go with Thomas Vanek, but only at even strength. Because he's been phenomenal on the power play, but he's been pretty bad on even strength. All right, uh, I will uh, trifecta for for Daly. He is insanely frustrating uh, watching him fail to clear pucks. Uh, I've noticed that I've we've kind of like made a joke about the the poke and hope thing. But, like, he literally does that. He's been doing kind of lazy sweep checks and and just not being certain enough with the, the puck on his own end, and it's cost the Red Wings the ability to get clears that I feel that they should have gotten, and it's, it's one of those unforgivable kind of things for me. Um, 
I'll echo Pete's thoughts on Ablocator in that I think he's played much better as of late, but if you take the entire 18 games, uh, I'd call him a disappointment. And um, my third is going to be uh, also compared to expectations, and there may be an excuse built in. Uh, I I won't even say maybe. There is definitely an excuse built in because uh, the guy suffered a concussion, but Franz Nielsen has been not good this year overall. And uh, I hope that that he improves, but through the the first 18, uh, uh, not good enough. Hmm. Yeah. Larkanic and Skywalker, we're hot, but are we ready? Sure. <laughs> and then he actually yeah, had a... I, or, go ahead. Oh, no, I don't, have, I don't have anything to add to that one, but I'd say sure. Yeah, we're we're hot and we're ready. Good, good, good. Then there was an actual serious question to that, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, and just uh, answer it and then move along. Uh, real question, yeah. who's giving us the most value per dollar on the team right now? This is what's called a Google question. Uh, this is literally something you can find on catfriendly.com. If you yep. go to players at the top, there is a drop-down. It is cost per point. You search for the Red Wings, and Cat Friendly will literally list every single player on the mm-hmm. Red Wings uh, by dollars per goal, dollars per assist, and dollars per point. So the cost per point, Dennis Chalowski is the cheap one at $99,352 per point. The most expensive currently, if you don't count that Wade Megan, Libor Sulak, and Joe Hicketts have zero points, and so that number becomes infinity. Uh, Jonathan mm-hmm. Erickson's one point for $4.25 million. Uh, Danny DeKaiser is bringing up the next one. He's got three points, but that's still costing $1.6 million. Cronwall, Daly, Mike Green. Uh, that is all the bottom where all the top are unsurprisingly basically ELC. Although yeah. Tyler Bertuzzi and Nick Jensen are not on the ELCs, but that is what it is. It's a cool tool. Catfriendly.com. Go find it. Uh, do not ask us to Google things for you. Um, no, I'm kidding. It was a good opportunity to, to share knowledge. So moving on, ENSRW, does Chalowski look like a first-pairing defenseman to you? If so, what is his best attribute that makes him part of a top pairing? If not, what quality does he lack? Peter. That's that's a good question because I think – hmm. I would say, based on what I've seen so far, at this point, I would say no, but I think that there is a potential for him to get there, uh, which is definitely not something I would have said before this season. Um, you know, his his best after I, I know this is kind of cheating because it's not exactly what the question was asking, but um, his his best attribute is is moving the puck, in my opinion. He gets the puck in the offensive zone, and he makes the the smart play quickly um, and he is able to make passes that other players on our team are not able to make. Um, so, you know, he, he, he definitely has the ability um, to be a very good uh, defenseman. I think top pairing, I think for, for me is like a, like a pretty high cutoff. Um, 
So, huh. I mean, I think for me, I think I think I just need to see consistency. Um, not that he's played poorly this year, uh, but you know, I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to say yes based on 18 games. Like I, you know, we can come back to it at the end of the season and see how he see how he's done over the 82 game stretch. Um, so for me, it's not like a specific quality. It's just the the you know, lack of sample size at this point for me. Um, yeah, I I was going to say, I just, uh, I, w- I would say the same. Is he, I'm very excited about the way he's played. Would I call him a first-pairing defenseman um, on this team, maybe? Uh, actually, yeah, on this team, I would say, you know, he's amongst the top two there. Uh, league-wide, not yet. And, that, and I think the key word being yet. Um you know, he's projecting to look that way and he's definitely playing much better than expected. Um, and I think what gives him or his attribute that makes him capable or of one day being that top pairing is, um, you know, Peter was saying he's a good, good passer. I think it's just quick. Like he's not just quick feet, but quick decision-making. He gets the puck and he makes a quick decision with it. And, you know, the high IQ by making the, the proper decision with it. And he, he jumps in offensively, at the right times. It's not like watching, you know, Brendan Smith or someone like that who's just jumping in at all the wrong times. It's, it's effective offensive play, which we haven't seen in a very long time from a defenseman. Um, on the flip side, why is he not there yet? Um, he still makes some mistakes, like you were saying, Peter, maybe a little more consistency. Not that he, he's far off the mark, but, you know, there's some shifts where he, you know, it, it a turnover here or there just I think just by nature of not having the experience so it's it's not that it's a quality that I think is going to hold him back long term I just think he needs to keep playing more games yeah I will echo the sentiment I think that he's got enough he's shown us enough at this point to show promise but if you're asking me right now does he look like a first pairing defenseman my best answer is, yeah, maybe on this team, um, but not league-wide. Like, he looks like he could – like, he's got a, a lot of potential to be, like, like Roman Yossi, uh, essentially, is, is what he's reminded me of. Like, because maybe not as, as flashy, and it, Roman Yossi isn't necessarily a, a flashy guy, but – He's a solid positioning, really good passer, moves the puck well, um, you know, mobile on his feet. I think what uh, what Chalowski does lack right now is essentially the the consistency, the the kind of he needs the a lot of the lessons, just the, the little things that he he could do better, um, and kind of he still needs he's got some growing to do still. Like he's he's gotten a lot bigger, but. There is definitely a bit of physicality that, you know, he's never going to be a, a, a Chara. He's, he's never going to be a, a punishing defenseman. But even if we're going to draw him comparisons to the former Red Wings captain that has made a lot of people um, really scoff at the at comparisons, um, you know, and, and Nick Lindstrom had more physicality than, than Dennis Chalowski does right now. I think that that's, that would be a good comparison in terms of how much physicality we can ever expect from him. 
he doesn't necessarily need to be physical as or mean and punishing as long as his positioning is really good. He's just he doesn't have that positioning yet either because there's a lot of lessons that he is yet to learn at the NHL level that he will get there. Yeah. So, I think we're all on the same page here. Not yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. That's Super Prime or Overlord. It says last year only two Red Wings score, players scored over 50 points. Larkin 63 and Zetterberg 56. Currently we have three players uh, on pace for 66 or more points. Those are Larkin, AA, and Nyquist. Do you think all three of them can keep up the pace? Who wants to take this oh, one first? Uh, I, sorry, I'll, I can jump on that. Um, I'd like to think so, but no. I could see Larkin for sure. Um, I, I think that's maybe Nyquist, I think, has kind of brought kind of a consistent... I mean, you had that long point streak just snapped. Uh, I think it was snapped last night, which I don't know how that happens on six goals. But, uh, um, you know, I think he's shown that he can be consistent. And in the past, I think he's kind of stepped into a little bit of a hole that Zetterberg left and can kind of fill that in, obviously. And I think he can keep that pace going. The question is, is he still with the Wings to score 66 points at the end of the season? Um, I, AA, I think, falls more in the 50 to uh, just under 50 range, maybe. He kind of has a tendency to go very hot, very cold, and we're watching the very hot right now. I, I'd i be pleasantly surprised if he's able to hit that pace. Um, I, I'm going to say yes on all three. Because um, Athanasiu looks like a different player this year, and obviously he was off to a good start, and then he got injured, but then coming back, he didn't really lose a step. He still kept doing the same things he was doing before. Um, and so I, I'm going to say yes. I, I, I think they can. Josh kind of stole my thunder on Nyquist. I was going to point out that I he's my biggest doubt because I think he's only got until uh, you know February to get that accomplished before he gets <laughs> traded. But uh, yeah, I'll say we'll get two out of three because that's that's not bad according to Mr. Meatloaf. Yeah. <laughs> and last one, I'm going to take the again the the lead because I've got things to say. Um, Art Vandaleo seven, Manta. He's playing harder, but I feel like a few of his goals recently have been luck. Obviously, luck plays a factor, but I'm kind of biased right now against him. Looking at it objectively, what is his current floor and ceiling, and do you think he will be a long-time Red Wing? I just want to go off on a rant real quick because a lot of people have been bringing up that essentially Mantha is Franzen 2.0, and I've been outspoken for a long time that Franzen got a really shitty raw deal by this fan base that kind of still pisses me off, and so seeing it happen again with Mantha is just pissing me off all over again. I reiterate that I don't trust any single fan's opinion on whether or not you can watch a game on television and say that guy's not trying uh, including my own because I admit fully that I fall into that trap of saying ah, it doesn't look like he's, he, he gives a shit out there and so all this concept that, that you know Mantha has like, got this switch that he's just for whatever reason not consistently keeping on just kind of bugs me. 
Um, I, there's so many other like good reasons to explain what that, including the big man syndrome, is. Manta does not look like he is trying as hard to cover as much space as somebody significantly shorter because he doesn't have to, or it takes a little bit longer for his longer legs to to make a stride that is taking up more space anyway, so he's going just as fast. Um, I think it's just as easy to say that Anthony Manta is still kind of uncertain rather than not he's not trying that he's still questioning whether or not the decision he's making is he's overthinking it he's gripping a stick too hard and honestly the the concept oh he's he's gotten lucky score i don't give a shit you ask for your own luck it happens so i think his current floor and his current ceiling is johan franzen and i think johan franzen is still kind of vastly underrated so if that's what's going to happen with Manta then I I'm going to have to deal with it it's going to be my own pet peeve forever and I don't I'm not telling you how to feel as a fan I'm just telling you how I feel and it pisses me off and so feel free to just push my buttons and force feed me avocado toast so uh, I do think it will be a long time uh, a Red Wing though I, I don't think that there's any point uh, in in getting rid of him because if he's going to have that reputation, then it's always going to be a sell low consideration anyway. So I will pass it yeah. off to somebody else to to be more objective than I am, I guess. <laughs> no, I mean I think um, you know one of the things we were talking about before was uh, was with the coaching, and I think um, first with Athens CU, and then and then with with Mantha. There's been people saying like, oh, Bla-, you know, he, you know, he, he, you know, he's not going to work out with Blashill, and we've seen Athens CU this year prove that wrong, and it seems like we're starting to see Mantha prove that wrong. So, um, I mean, like the only reason that they would not have him here long term would be something like that, and I don't think that that's the case. Um, I think his ceiling is first line winger. I think that there's definitely a chance that he he fulfills that, um, but even even so, I think his floor is still pretty high. I think that he is um, he's going to be he's going to be a good player for for a long time. Um, and and one of the things again, you know, kind of going to what JJ said, but in a little different way, is that goal scorers are streaky. That's just the way it is, right? I think um, I don't know if this stat is still accurate. But I think for, for a while, maybe last year it was accurate, as of last year, I think that like Alex Ovechkin was the only current player with over a certain number of goals who had not gone more, like I think it was like eight games or more without a goal. Um, goal scorers are streaky, even the best ones, even the top ones. You know, I'm, Don't get me wrong, I'm not comparing the two, but Patrick Laine was cold for a while. We saw Elias Pettersson. Who is obviously, a, a, you know, already a very highly uh, skilled scorer in the NHL. He's on a bit of a cold streak right now. It happens, um, and so I think that definitely colors the way that people people look at him. So um, yeah, I think pretty much everything you said, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you know both of you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of my thought. JJ said it perfectly. Is that 
uh, Mantha, you know, it fits the narrative to say he's not trying. It's it's an effort thing, like same narrative that Franzen had in any any big man. And like JJ, I I fall into the trap sometimes too. Where I, it's not so much that I'll say he's not trying, but I I I know I've said things along the lines of he's I have noticed him. He's invisible. He's uh, where is he in this game? Um, but I don't think it's ever for lack of effort. Like, like you said, some maybe some indecisiveness there. Goal scores are streaky, and that that goes to the luck comment. Where it's not that is he's maybe playing harder; it's that the pucks are just going in now, and they weren't before. Um, it's just, and, and then you know, in terms of long term, I think I think you have to hang on to him. You haven't had like other than um, you know the, some more recent picks. In terms of current lineup, you don't quite have a goal scorer like Manta. Um, Long term, I think his ceiling, yeah, is a a thirty goal scorer, top line winger. Um, but given what he's established and proven, I, I don't think his floor is that low. I think you're talking his worst case is probably a second line winger scoring in the twenty to twenty five range, which is not a bad thing to have on any team. So, I you know I, I don't see why you you you'd move a piece like Manta unless it's you know, swinging for the fences on some sort of high pairing defenseman, which, you know, I don't think him alone is enough to fetch that. So um, I think he is a long-term or long-time Red Wing. Yeah, right on. All right, that's the end of our reader question. So I'm going to go ahead and and kick it back to to Pete to get us out of here. All right, so... um... Before we wrap up in just a second, uh, I'm going to go back to something that um, I, I forgot to do last time. Um, we have uh, we have five games coming up in the next uh, kind of week and a half. So we have away, away games versus Ottawa and uh, New Jersey. Then we have a home game against Boston, an away game against Washington, and then a home game against Buffalo. All right, so Josh, what's your prediction for those five games? And it doesn't have to be specifically game by game, but you know, how, how do you think the team's going to do in the next five games? Two, one, and two. All right, two, one, and two. JJ, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to give us five points in those five games. Okay. Um. Hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with six points. I think we're gonna, you know, because if you're looking at the teams, we'd probably be favorites in two of the games and underdogs in three of the games. But this season seems to defy expectations so far, so I'm gonna flip that and go with six points. All right. So um, thanks a lot for everybody for listening. I obviously thank you to Josh and JJ uh, for joining me tonight for another episode, and we will be back at you uh, in the very near future. Excellent, thank you. Winging it, winging it, winging it, winging it, winging it, winging it. I'm winging it in no time. Winging it, 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 I'm winging it.